Welcome to Doing the Most, the series where we talk about the misadventures of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Georgie, execution strategist and serial entrepreneur. This series is here to get real about what entrepreneurial life truly looks like. We are driven, persistent, hardworking, ambitious. We are human, and these are our stories. Welcome back to another episode of Doing the Most, the Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Georgie, and today we have the amazing Pollyanna Reed here with us on the show to tell us about her journey, her story, and her adventures and misadventures while doing the most as an entrepreneur. So Pollyanna, can you go ahead and give us an introduction of yourself and your business and tell us a little bit more about what you do? Hey, nice to meet you. I'm really happy to be here. I am a millennial woman who has fought for her dreams and won. Professionally, I'm widely known as a journalist. I have been a uh, communicator and a journalist for more than a decade. I'm currently at Forbes and Business Insider. In 2017, I founded my company, The Writer's Block, which is a ghostwriting agency that helps leaders and doers who are shaping the future turn their personal stories into brand assets. Thank you so much. And what got you interested in writing? Like, what was the, the start of it? Every writer, I feel like, has a core story. So what's yours? Yeah, you know what? I was bullied and tortured as a kid. I say tortured because high school were some of the worst years of my life. And so when I spent time alone um, at the library, in the cafeteria, in the girls' washroom, I would carry my notebook and I would doodle and I would dream about what life would look like outside of these four walls. And so my love for writing came from a feeling of tranquility and peace and simplicity. And so I knew that I wanted to experience that feeling for the rest of my life. And I was really determined to build a career as a writer, even though, I mean, we're talking, I graduated from high school in 2005. I mean, there was no telling what that career could look like because blogging didn't exist at this time. Social media was barely a thing. And I really just had to trust my gut. Honestly, there wasn't a... I didn't grow up like admiring a famous writer per se. I didn't go up, you know, wanting to copy someone's blueprint. I didn't really have a blueprint. I didn't really know what I wanted to um, pursue, but I was just a very curious, colorful, imaginative kid. And I knew that um, I didn't want to turn into, I didn't want to grow up to be an adult that looked back and said, what if? So my love for writing came from pursuing childhood dreams and knowing that I wanted to live a life that was, that was fulfilling. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yes, um, <laughs> you know, we all hate the bullies and it's just so inspirational that you take a chance and a leap of faith of that thing that brought you solace and you then share it with the world. So did you, and now you're doing ghostwriting. So what kind of shifted you from writing as an escape for yourself to now sharing your skills and talents with other people? I think it's important to understand your industry and where it's going. I knew that journalism, although once fulfilling, I knew it wasn't something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I believe that there are jobs and there are life assignments. Journalism is a job to which I adore and I find great opportunities because I'm able to 
amplify black voices. I'm able to amplify the profiles of black women. And, you know, it's, it means the world to me, but it's not my calling. And so ghostwriting, when I stumbled across it in 2014, I knew it was something that I wanted to pursue for the rest of my life. I would never get tired of it. It was something that solves a problem. It was something that simply, I just, I just, I would, it just made me so excited. And so when I went down that path and studied other ghostwriters and realized what they did for a living and how they contributed to, to society and how they contributed to conversations that really mattered and that ghostwriting helps you, you know, gain a seat at the table. I was, I was, so I was thrilled. And so I knew in order to scale, I had to create an agency. And then that's where the writer's block came from. Awesome. That is amazing. And seeing that life vision. So I wanted you to talk to me a little bit more about your connection and interest in working with like Black writers and Black women specifically. Was there an experience that showed you that there wasn't enough um, highlight on Black women? Because as a reader and writer myself, like when I look into the space of professional development, business development, or just stories being told, there's not enough by Black women. So was there a specific story that you heard um, get told or a specific story that you saw that was untold that inspired you to start writing for Black women? That's a good question. I mean, like, I love all things Black, black Blackity, Black, Black, Black. So for me, it was like, literally a no-brainer. If I had a opportunity to write for one of the most respected, prestigious publications, then I, of course, like, of course, I'm going to put my, my girls on. Of course, I'm going to amplify Black voices. To me, I didn't even think twice about it. It was a no-brainer. It wasn't, you know, of course, yes, of course, if you look, you know, statistically, a lot of Black women, women of color, we don't get a chance to tell our story in mainstream media at all. Um, I've had several Black women open the door for me coming up in my career. And so it's very important that I do the same for others. Um, in relation to writing, communications, journalism, ghostwriting, I want more Black and Brown women to understand that when they pursue the world of communications, marketing and publicity is not the only option for them. And they could also be a speechwriter or a ghostwriter and still hold a very powerful seat at the table when it comes to issues and causes on a global level, industry level, or a community level. Thank you. And now I want to hear a little bit more about writer's block. What inspired you to um, build out this business model as well as I see that you have like a team of additional writers and a majority of them are Black women. So what was that catalyst that said I have to start writer's block and build out a team of other um, ghostwriters as well? I mean, I worked for an agency uh, while I was maintaining, while I was juggling my corporate career. Um, I've since quit in January 2019. And I freelanced for an agency. I was in Toronto. It was based in Philly. And it was my opportunity to really learn how an agency was run and operated. Um, and so I knew in order to scale, in order to make the impact on the level that I wanted to make it, I knew that I needed a team. And so in order to carry out the mission at hand, I wanted an army of women who had the same beliefs. And quite frankly, a lot of freelance writers are looking for 
mission-driven work and are looking for stability. And I'm a hunter. I'm very sales-oriented. And so um, I knew I could give them that. I knew that I, and this is me coming from a place where I started with no clients, no connections, no clients. I started from the ground up, but I knew that I could make this work. Everything that I have in my life started in my mind first, started as a dream first. And so I just needed people who believed in the mission. Um, and I, you know, I took care of the rest. I love my team. My team is a collective of content ninjas and we are the absolute best in what we do. And I am absolutely thrilled to be leading the charge with them because all of the ghostwriting agencies I'm aware of are white, male dominated, and we are pretty much the first. Wow. Of our kind. Wow. And that is so important because, you know, you always feel like black unicorns, black girl magic, and you're definitely out here doing it. I'd love to hear some of the stories or just some of the experiences that you've had with the clients that you've worked with. Um, so if you can share with us any of your client profiles um, of some of your favorite projects that either yourself or your team has worked on. Oh, that's when things get a little tricky because as a ghostwriter, I sign a lot of NDAs. And so, mm-hmm. right. So, right. Like I, yeah, like it's so, it's so interesting because, uh, you know, people do ask me that question, but there's no names or companies that I can drop in which I won't get sued. Like, so I would say <laughs> some of our clients include politicians, celebrities, athletes, founders, and high power executives. And we help leaders and doers who are shaping the future turn their personal stories into brand assets. So that means my team is penning their books, their keynote speeches, and their op-eds. And so clients hire us because we help them read the room because they love our customer service skills. They love that we are able to help them navigate cultural, societal, generational sensitivities. They love that they're not just hiring a ghostwriter, they're hiring a communication strategist and advisor. Uh, um, and they really love the fact that we are, we help them to code their ideas and we create a safe space for them to have an ex- exercise boundless creativity. Super powerful. And one of the keywords you just mentioned is about um, doing. So you say you're a team of doers, you guys are focused on this work. And I know your um, slogan, do it first or uh, do it better. Where did you get that slogan from? Like what, you know, connected you with that, that uh, slogan? Do it first or do it better. Um, that's a commonly, uh, in various forms, that phrase is commonly used. Because a lot of times when you enter a market, you're not going to be the only person or you're not going to get there first. Um, Mm -hmm. But we just make sure that as a team of color, as a team of Black women, we are grounded in excellence in everything that we do. And so that is a friendly reminder to ourselves that... um, We come from a lineage of excellence. And we have high expectations for ourselves and our clients. Thank you. And that leads right into my next question about Black excellence, because you mentioned it a few times on the podcast so far. What does Black excellence mean to you? And then I have a second question about that, about the pressure, um, you know, maintaining Black excellence. But let's start off with what does Black excellence mean to you? Like if you could define it in this one specific way, what would that be? 
Black excellence means to me to uphold the values and the morals and the integrity of the women who have come before me. My mother, my grandmother, my great grandmother, oh. ones that I know and ones I don't. Love, love, love that. And now with the second question, what type of weight do you feel like you have to carry and how do you manage that weight of maintaining this black excellence, not only for yourself, your team, but also for the powerful people that you're working with? How do you maintain that, manage that and you know, the weight of it all? So there's a quote that I love by Maya Angelou. I hope that I say it right. Um, she says, I stand as one, but I come as 10,000. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, throughout my entire career, I've stood on the shoulders of giants. And so I know I'm supported. I know I'm loved. I know I'm celebrated. I know I'm encouraged. And that helps me a lot. Definitely. I really appreciate that because it's so important to have that solid foundation and excellence around you at all times. Absolutely. And that, and now my next question is going to be about your misadventure. So we've heard about some of the great things that happened on this journey, but what is something that, you know, was really unexpected, whether it was a win and really successful, but unexpected, or, you know, it kind of turned everything upside down, drove you nuts. So what is one of your misadventures while doing the most as an entrepreneur? That's a great question. I mean, in my twenties, I was extremely fearless. Um, I would scrape together pennies. I would skip my bill. I I wouldn't pay my bills so I could pay for flights so I could go to the Mm. States and network. (laughs) I would uh, um, set up meetings and coffees from 9am to 9pm. I'd sleep on the floor at the airport or I would, you know, sleep on my friend's couches or anything that I could do to get into spaces. There's a quote that I love by T.D. Jakes. He says, you will not go further than you think. And a lot of my friends, a lot of my peers growing up, they, they just, they weren't willing to leave the hood. They weren't willing to leave their communities, but I was determined, I was determined by any means necessary to expand my horizons. And that meant getting on a plane, train or automobile you know? And so, yeah, I would say those were some of the most exciting and scariest times of my life. Wow. Um, definitely resonates really heavy with me. You know, that's why we even named the show doing the most because it's so crazy when you look back or tell another person your story and they're like, wow, you did this, this and that. And it's because, you know, you have to imagine yourself in this bigger place and do what it takes to get to that space, that place that you want to be um, for your for your business success. And so now I want to talk about you know, your personal mental health through this journey. Um, are there any things that you use for self-care or to manage your mental health, being a business owner, being a traveler, being a writer? Because um, I'm pretty sure you come across some experiences that may be heavier than others. So how do you manage that for yourself? Well, I'm a high-functioning CEO who lives with depression and anxiety, and my recovery process spans more than 20 years. So that looks like a plethora of different things. It looks like individual therapy, group therapy. It looks like medication. It looks like working out three times a week. It looks like nature walks. It looks like um, having my girlfriends on speed dial. It looks like 
you know, dancing in my underwear in the morning before I start my day. It looks like so many things. Um, I think everyone's recovery process is very different. Um, I think the world is going through a mental health crisis and um, shit is not easy to deal with right now. Um, I take things one day at a time. I used to, I used to um, subscribe to hustle culture and now my life looks a lot different. I've, I've slowed things down tremendously. I travel a great deal um, and I say no to things. I feel no ways about declining opportunities if I don't feel like I have the emotional capacity. That last sentence, I hope y'all are listening and taking notes. Declining things if you feel like you do not have the mental capacity. Because I think, you know, a duality that happens or actually a three-part thing that happens, you know, being a person of color, being a Black person, one, then being a woman and then being an entrepreneur, you feel like you need to say yes and be of service to everyone and everything in, in the world. But you really have to take time for yourself in order to build back up your using whatever resources is best for your mental health, your stability, and then be able to go back out there um, and do this work. So thank you so much for sharing that. And do you ever feel nervous or, well, you know, now there's the mental health crisis and we're making that shift, but in the past, did you share that or did you feel like that was a part of you that you had to hide of you know, how you um, healed yourself and be, be able to work at, you know, the high function that you are currently Mm, not really, honestly. Um, I've been very public with my mental health journey since 2012, like very, very public. I dropped out of college because of my mental health at a suicide attempt in 2008. I have struggled a lot over the years, uh, but I've also had some really beautiful transitions and moments and pivots. Um, I find it much easier to just be honest with myself and with others. I don't put on a mask. I don't fake the funk. If someone asks me how I'm doing, I make sure that I'm very upfront and honest. If I'm not having a good day, you will know it. Um, but I've also been very privileged. I am in a very privileged position because a great deal of my recovery process, I have to owe it to one of my doctors who is wealthy, who is white, and who's very connected. Um, and I always make sure I say that because I have friends of mine who have been on wait lists for years, one, two, three years, waiting for appointments and specialists and access to treatment, whereas I've been able to access anything that I've needed. Um, and I think that's important to share as well. Um, yeah, so, I mean, like I said before, everyone's reco recovery process is very different. And um, I hope that I, I hope that my life illustrates that second chances do exist and that you can still live a very full and colorful life even if you struggle with the mental illness wow thank you so much for being so transparent and you know not just with us on the show but with your life and your experiences because even just hearing you speak and previously seeing the work that you've been doing that has inspired me and I'm pretty sure it has inspired hundreds if not thousands of other people um so thank you and I actually want to rewind uh the episode a little bit so when you decided to pursue writing um how did your family feel about that were they supportive of this career not really because they didn't really know what it was sorry um my parents didn't know what options were available to me when I told them I wanted to become a writer 
same with my teachers and my guidance counselors. I mean, I failed grade 11, 12 English. So nobody was exceptionally thrilled that I wanted to be a writer. Um, I had to work really hard to get average grades. Um, I've lived with a learning difference for as long as I could remember. Um, and when I say learning difference, I mean a processing deficiency. Um, and so, uh, no, in, the short answer is they were not excited. They didn't know what the hell it was. And they advised that I just play it safe and get a cubicle job in which I did. But simultaneously, while working in my corporate career for 10 years as an executive assistant, I, um, I was determined to make it out. And I quit my job in 2019. Um, and it was one of the best days of my life. I, I've trusted myself to figure it out ever since. Wow. That is interesting. You know, like you said, failing 11th and 12th grade English and now being a very successful writer, journalist, ghostwriter, that, that's, a, that's a nice, you know, 180. Um, and so now I want to talk about what's next for you. You know, what are your aspirations for the future, the next, you know, five, 10 years of where you want to build your company? Or are there any other things that you want to embark upon on your entrepreneurial journey? What's next for me is sustainability, to be honest. Um, I think that, I think that many people are obsessed with the next big thing, next big invention, idea, goal. I love okay. my life. I love everything in it. I love the pace I learn. I love the pace in which I work. I have love in my life. I am in a very romantic, all-indulging, beautiful relationship that I'm just, oh, I just, I'm obsessed with. Um, I have my parents. I'm blessed to still have them in my life. And you deserve that. (laughs) And yeah, so like, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm just maintaining what I have. I love that. And that's another thing, you know, the, the podcast is called Doing the Most. And what I often ask people about is how do you not do the most, right? You know, how do you get to the place where you feel good, you're thriving and not just surviving? And I think, you know, you've achieved that and maintaining that is so important because we like we always want to see the next big thing or who's the next tech invention, billionaire, millionaire, trillionaire, all the things and all these moving parts. But we can slow down and enjoy life and go at a pace that makes us feel well, us feel strong versus, you know, struggling or fighting for the next thing that we need to do. We can just enjoy what's happening. Um, And so now as we're coming to the end of the show, I want to care, you know, what is a piece of advice that you want to leave with the audience as they continue to travel along their entrepreneurial adventures and, you know, maintain their mental health and wellness throughout this process? So what piece of advice would you want to leave with them? Um, The piece of advice I'd love to leave is to be patient with the process. It will take you, I mean, it may take you a couple months. It may take you several years, but I think it's important to stay married to the mission and just trust yourself to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like there's no manual, there's no shortcuts, there's no nothing. Like trust yourself to figure it out, work hard, um, and always listen to your intuition. Thank you so much. Much. Again, trust yourself, everyone. Listen to your intuition.
Uh, connect with Pollyanna. There is going to be uh, her information in the show notes. If you're listening to this on YouTube, it's going to be in the co- description box below. Um, uh, but Pollyanna, do you have any specific channels that you want to share now verbally that people can reach out to and connect with you on? Um, no, if you Google me, I'm everywhere. You heard that? I love that. Google me. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your experiences and being authentic and continuing to do the most while also maintaining it and not having to do the most um, on your entrepreneurial journey. We will see you all in the next episode of Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. Thank you so much again, Pollyanna. Thank you.